Thank you, Pastor Richard. Canada is not just big, you also make big words. <laughs> well, I'm a servant in the European Baptist family and I'm very pleased, very, very pleased to spend this morning with you. I have been working, as Pastor Richard said, in the Canadian Baptist Ministry's office this week and I have learned how the Canadians have uh, uh, supported uh, lots of lots of initiatives across the globe to help those who are in need and to need to the, the visible and tangible sign of God's love in their lives. And that's what you are part of. So I'm very glad that I can be with you and share this morning with you. And um, I'm very glad that it's a multicultural church here. Um, this is not what we have in Estonia, where I come from. But it doesn't happen often that um, the church where I go across the globe has somebody from my nation and speaking my language and really understanding my language. We are just 1.3 million people, so tiny, tiny, much lesser than Toronto altogether. But this morning I am very glad, and I know I'm partial here, but I'm very glad to welcome Marika and Paul Wilbix here from, uh, as Estonians. And now I have to really check on myself which language I will speak. Because seeing Estonians on the first the front row, I'm tempted to speak in Estonian. And then we could actually try whether Pentecost really <laughs> works. <laughs> anyway, I was uh, raised... Um, in, a, in a state called Soviet Union. And when you're younger, you probably even haven't heard what this, this means because it collapsed in 1991, a long time ago. But my generation and those uh, older still remember that time very well. When I was a child... I heard my father sometimes uh, talking about the Iron Curtain. Have you heard that expression? Many of you have. I only had seen the curtains in my bedroom and I could not understand how a curtain could uh, be made from iron, which is heavy and cold and rigid stuff. Only later I understood uh, the meaning of, of this metaphor. Although the curtain between the two worlds, well, capitalist West and communist East, if I can put it this way, was from iron, uh, which is sound and light proof, as you know. In my country uh, of Estonia, we had some holes in that curtain. And one of these holes, well, one of the holes was American Voice, of course, which my father uh, listened regularly. And the second hole was the Finnish television. So the TV tower in Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland, was high enough to send signals 80 kilometers over the sea to the north coast of Estonia. And everybody in the north coast, especially in Tallinn, in capital of Estonia, was watching the Finnish TV. Estonian and Finnish languages are very similar, so there was no problem of understanding. This way, our hole in the Iron Curtain, uh, through which we could peep into a very different, yet very attractive world. 
My father watched mainly news and political broadcasts while I was interested in films. And once there was, there was a film about the biblical story. You know, in the, in the Soviet Union, there was never, ever on TV shown anything connected to the Bible. So that was really exciting. It must have been the beginning of 80s or something like that. And that time, of course, I had no clue whatsoever about filmmaking. So I remember my excitement. I could not wait to see how the Red Sea will split into two parts. And this big crowd of people with the stuff and cattle and everything will go through the sea with dry feet. As the Bible describes it, doesn't it? I grew up by the sea and I simply could not imagine it. Red Sea, which is about 280 kilometers wide, four times wider than my sea over to Finland, will split into two parts. How will they do it in the film? I was sure that only God can do something like that. So how can the filmmakers really show it? And when it finally happened, the sea split into two parts in front of my eyes. Well, rather on the black and white TV screen, which was quite small that time. I was still so fascinated about this special effect that I think I missed the point of the film and the whole story. Today we celebrate Pentecost. And uh, we read the story of Pentecost from the Bible. Thank you, Pastor Richard, for reading it so imaginatively for us. And as we read from there, this event was also accompanied by many special effects. Rush of violent wind, fire tongues above the heads of the disciples, speaking and understanding other languages, which those people normally would not have known and understood. Um, Can I just check that you understand me and my Estonian English here? (laughs) Good, thank you. It is Pentecost after all, isn't it? (laughs) When we today think of Pentecost, what stands out for us? It is a Is it a longing for the same special effects that disciples and many gathered people experienced 2,000 years ago? Is it the desire to find inspiration in the Pentecost message? Is it the yearning for the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts and lives so that we could be Christ's disciples and embody God's love in our communities where we live? What has the significance for us today? Pentecost has a very rich and deep meaning. And perhaps it is not right to single out one um, feature and especially against the others. And certainly Pentecost is not only a feast from the past, the birthday of the church as we call it, to remember and celebrate once a year. The gift of Pentecost is here today to empower us and give us us wisdom for our everyday lives. So 
What else is there in addition to what we read from the book of Acts uh, this morning? Pentecost is not a new independent story in the Bible with a new main character called Holy Spirit. It is a continuation of the story of Jesus and even more. The whole of God's story, starting with creation and continuing with redemption as the time goes on and the biblical narrative develops. Peter's sermon at the day of Pentecost that follows the text we read together indicates this. So what is the background of Pentecost? In Christian tradition, Pentecost is celebrated 50 days after Easter. Christ's death and resurrection, that's what we all know. In the Jewish tradition, Pentecost is called a little differently. The Hebrew word for this is Shavuot. It's the, uh, and it's celebrated 50 days after Passover. As you know, Passover, as it was celebrated also by, the, uh, by Jesus' disciples, was to mark God's miracles deeds as uh, he liberated the Hebrew people from the slavery in Egypt. This was the beginning of their journey to the promised land. I hope the kids are there in the promise, in their promised land at the moment and study, study the words and deeds of Jesus. So one milestone on their journey to the promised land was an event uh, at the Mount Sinai after they had crossed the Red Sea. You remember uh, about 280 kilometers wide water body which the Hebrew people crossed with dry feet. And not just in the film, but they really did. On the Mount Sinai, God gave to Moses and the Hebrew people Ten Commandments. Very good. And this is, this is celebrated in the Jewish tradition 50 days after Passover. It's called Shavuot, as I said. So the roots of Christian uh, celebration of Easter and Pentecost can be found in the Jewish tradition of Passover and Shavuot. Passover is marking the liberation from, from slavery and Shavuot is marking the receiving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, by the way, in the Jewish tradition, Shavuot is celebrated for two days, not just one day as we do here in the Christian church. And at the night, during, uh, between those two days, nobody goes to sleep. They won't party. They study the scriptures. Is that something we could actually learn about? So, from the beginning, the freedom from slavery and obeying God's com commandments belonged together. When the Hebrew people were slaves, they had masters to tell them what to do and how to live and, and everything else. But now, being, having been liberated, the people had to decide themselves how to live in freedom. How to live a life that is significant, fulfilling, genuine, respecting others and bringing glory to God. How to handle this freedom? I don't know if, uh, 
if you can sense the tension there, but uh, we as Estonians, we can. When the communist regime collapsed in 1991, we, uh, uh, suddenly we Estonians and, and many other Soviet, that time Soviet republics, had the freedom to decide how to build up and organize their societies. There was much confusion. There were many conflicting opinions. We were united in fighting against the communist regime. But when we were finally free, the situation was actually very difficult to handle. In the very beginning, it developed even to the extent of high criminality and injustice against those who were weaker. Some quickly became rich at the expense of others. Some sensed the atmosphere of impunity and used it for their own benefit. And some simply suffered from it all. The law designed in slavery under the supervision of Moscow and the Soviet government had no longer authority. But there was no new law in place which could have been guiding the people. Therefore, many people who were the losers in this transition time said, we miss the Soviet rule. The same way as the Hebrew people said in the, in the desert, if we could only return to the flesh pots we left behind in Egypt. So, the Ten Commandments were given to the Hebrew people to guide them in their freedom and help them to live in peace with God and uh, with their neighbors in mutual understanding and respect and to maintain justice in their community. So with Passover, people celebrated the beginning of freedom, as we said, and with Shavuot, they celebrated God's gift of wisdom, how to organize their lives and live well in this freedom, the Ten Commandments. Jesus' disciples knew the meaning of these feasts very well and celebrated them also in the same Jewish context. But in addition to this traditional Jewish understanding, they had learned so much more from Jesus when they, when they lived and traveled together for three years. The disciples were there when the Pharisees asked Jesus, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And they also heard Jesus reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You can read it uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 36 to 40. So there is a qualitative difference between the law in the Old Testament and the way Jesus presents it to uh, everybody around him. The Ten Commandments in the Old, Old Testament tell people what not to do in order to please God and live in peace with one another. 
But Jesus tells us what we need to do in order to fulfill the potential God has designed for our lives and for our living together. It's a shift. It's a shift from negative to positive, from restrictions to motivation, from passive to active. But although Jesus' life here on earth was an example of how such interpretation of the law can work in everyday life, his disciples did not quite get the point. And that wasn't the first time. They lacked understanding. And now after Jesus' suffering, death and resurrection, they also missed him beside him, beside them and were short of inner power and motivation to be the witness to the risen Christ. So they sat together in the upper room at the day of Pentecost, prayed and pondered on the law. And then it happened. God gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. God poured out himself in a similar way as he had come to earth in Jesus. To be among his people, to live together with his people, and now also to be in his people. The Ten Commandments were engraved on the stone tablets and from outside called people to order. The Holy Spirit poured out to the disciples, filled them inside and brought God's law of love and understanding uh, into their hearts and lives. The Ten Commandments were wisdom for people liberated from slavery and Egypt. Yet Christ's birth, life, suffering, death and resurrection significantly expanded the, and deepened the meaning of uh, liberation from slavery. Through his death and resurrection, everybody has an opportunity to be um, liberated from the slavery of sin. And the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit, the gift of wisdom and understanding to help uh, uh, helps us to understand and gives us the power to live these new lives. The Holy Spirit is a gift of power to help us and uh, to help us to love and to serve. So what is the challenge of Pentecost for us today? For our church, for our ministries, for our lives. Jesus said, as we already read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, uh, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And we also heard the expansion of this law of love already read from the, from the um, Corinthians this morning. We all love God, don't we? This is why we are here this morning and, and worship together the God whom we love. But our love of God can be measured against our love uh, for our neighbors. And this is not always so comfortable anymore. Sometimes it's easier to love the strangers than our own family members or perhaps other churches who are slightly different from us. 
And sometimes it is the other way around. For Jesus, there is no difference between the first and the latter. God's love wants to reach absolutely everyone. And most of the time, there is no other way than through us, his disciples. In my experience, this is the area of our lives where we most need the Holy Spirit. Her power and her wisdom to embody God's love in our families, in our communities, and to the ends of the world to make it understandable and tangible for people who need it. In Europe, the last year has been really the test of this love. As you all well know and uh, have followed in the news, Russia's invasion to Ukraine happened now more than a year ago, and we heard uh, beautiful stories already from the Ukrainian community here. In Europe, it is the biggest tragedy since the Second World War. It is impossible to count and to describe all the suffering it causes to people. More than uh, 20,000 people have died in Ukraine, The correct numbers of deaths in the Russian military are not available to us. More than 8 million refugees are registered in European countries. Many more others around the world. More than 5 million people have been displaced internally in Ukraine. And these are just numbers, but behind every this number is a human being. It is not possible to measure the, uh, the pollution it has created and will be spoiling Ukrainian air and soil for many, many years to come. It is something that nobody could have imagined happening in our peaceful and diplomatically developed Europe. And although this is the biggest and the hardest tragedy since a very long time we have experienced, there is also something beautiful that has emerged from this. And this is the power of love and unity. Like in early days of Christian church when it was established at Pentecost, when all who believed acted together in love and shared with each other what they had. Exactly the same thing, exactly the same thing has been happening in Ukraine, Poland, Moldova, Moldova, which is the poorest country in Europe, but has the biggest number of Ukrainian refugees per capita. Romania, Hungary, Slovakia, and in very many other countries around Europe. These are not rich countries, but the Baptist churches there were among the first ones helping the people who are and still, who, uh, um, who were and still are freeing uh, the war zone. They pulled together the human and financial resources to help thousands and thousands of people looking for shelter, a safe place to be, and perhaps first of all looking for hope to be able to continue their lives in this new unimaginable situation. When I was in Moldova last August, we uh, visited the the, the border uh, site where the local Baptist church was right next to the border receiving 
the Ukrainian refugees, uh, there was also government representatives present, and when we went there and met with each other, the government representative, not the Christian uh, at all, very warmly went to that uh, local pastor, hugged him as the best friend of him, and when he showed us around and we walked around and talked how they are working uh, in this uh, reception point for the refugees, he said, you know, the Baptists have been our most faithful partners in this response. And we appreciate them so much for that. And he had his tears in his eye when he gave that uh, testimony to us. When the war started, we as a European Baptist Federation, besides uh, doing all the practical work and pulling together the projects and handling funds and, and supporting people locally, we also organized weekly Meetings, and uh, um, we have now changed these prayer meetings into monthly prayer meetings. But nearly 800 people across the globe have signed up for these meetings and participate at different times. And it's a wonderful community praying there uh, for uh, the Ukra- for Ukraine and and also for Russia. It, uh, it was one of the first uh, uh, prayer meetings when I asked the Polish Baptist uh, president, uh, Marek Klodek, who is also a good friend, I understand, uh, with our piano player, uh, to, to come and share with uh, 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 some of the experiences in receiving the Ukrainian refugees. And among other things, he said that they as churches and also the rest of the civil society have never ever acted together in such a unity in helping those in need. And this is the testimony of many countries across Europe. There is so much love poured out to these people who fled the war in Ukraine. Beds, showers, lunches, dinners, toys for children, chargers for the phones, transport to move, legal advice, counselling... And of course, prayers. You name it, it's all there and provided to those people in need. During the last winter, hundreds of Ukrainian churches were turned into places of heat and hope, where people could gather, have a warm place to be, have a warm meal to eat and have fellowship together in this very, very critical time of their lives. Places of heat and hope. And this tragedy has brought together the global Baptist family in supporting financially all these unions and churches in the front line in in Ukraine and in the neighboring countries. It has been a total coming together of the global Baptist family. And through EBF, we have supported these unions with uh, up to now with approximately uh, 4 million euros. I have never, ever seen so much money, I have to tell you. But now we have been able to support with uh, this money the churches who are doing the work on the ground and there is more available for the Ukraine to rebuild the communities after the war hopefully ends one day. And Canadian Baptist ministries, including you and and many other uh, Baptist churches here in Canada, 
has been one of the most faithful partners in supporting the churches in Ukraine and in the neighboring countries to help the people who have lost so much because of the war in Ukraine. So I do want to convey a heartfelt thank you to all and and to you also if you look at uh, us this morning online. Well, I'm sure you have experienced that uh, where there are two Baptists together, there are at least three opinions. Yet this crisis has brought us together, has bound us together. We act together in love. And the world sees that and believes, believes in God because the world sees the love we are giving to these people who need help. There is a beautiful report from the Baptist Union of Ukraine and, and the Vice President Igor Bandura, he, who has become a really good friend of mine during all this crisis. He says that there are more than 20,000 new people who have started attending church regularly because they have seen that love what the churches are sharing with them. About 3,000 of them have been baptized during the last months because they have seen and experienced the love of God through the churches who have been there uh, for them uh, in this tragedy. This is the power of Holy Spirit. It opens our eyes to see our neighbors and to love our neighbors near and far. It invites us to share God's love so that it makes a difference for those at the front line of the Ukraine war and in many, many other places in this broken and suffering world. May the same Holy Spirit, the source of power and love, fill us and guide us as we continue our journeys as the disciples of the risen Christ. Amen.